guys. <clears throat> well, good morning again. I hope that was encouraging for you. And, uh, you know, one of the things I, I understand about live stream things is uh, this is not meant to be a production. And uh, I, I hope that even this uh, semi-satisfying live stream uh, still helps you hunger and long for the time when you and I will be back together here, worshiping together, um, giving each other big hugs and handshakes or high fives or, or waves from across the aisle. I don't know. But uh, I, I certainly long for that time when we will be back together. So this is not meant to be a substitute, at least not an adequate substitute of the gathering together of the body of Christ. But we certainly hope that you are being encouraged and that you are sp taking this time as a priority in your family to, uh, to encourage them and to grow together in your faith. Well, we are going to be in the book of Habakkuk. We're going back to our series uh, in Habakkuk, and we're going to try to finish that out. We may take a little break uh, for Easter. We're not sure what Easter is going to hold and what uh, that might look like for our church. But we tonight, or today, are in Habakkuk. So if you would grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Habakkuk. It's a minor prophet book, and we are in chapter 3. We're going to start in chapter 3 today. Uh, and we'll, we'll definitely go back and look a little bit at some of the progression and the progress we've made. But we'll be in chapter 3, and, and we're going to look at just two verses today. Uh, don't let that fool you. It'll still be a lengthy sermon, like always, right? Uh, fortunately, you can take breaks or do push-ups or whatever you might need to do during the middle of it. So enjoy that time. That was a shout-out to Malachi Wimmer, who likes to do push-ups during my sermon. Uh, a couple things. Uh, just to kind of catch us up to speed, and, and, and I want to really look at the progression that we've seen in the book of Habakkuk. Uh, what we've seen is, is a prophet who goes to God with some real deep worry. Right? Some despair and grief over the status of the world and what's going on in the world. Uh, he, he sees not only the world is a mess, but his own people, Israel, the people who are supposed to be a people for God's own possession, have rebelled against God, and, and they're, they're practicing the same things that the rest of the world practices. They don't look any different. And Habakkuk is grieved, and he asks, how long is this going to go on, God? And, and that worry is right there. And, but this book brings us from a progression of worry all the way to a place of worship and deep faith. And in the middle of that, though, there's some things that we need to learn and understand that we see ma making that progression. So we start, we worry, right? Worry might come up or grief might come up. What, what is next? And uh, we'll, we'll see some other text from Habakkuk in a minute, but we go from, from worry into a place of, of watching and listening and hearing from God and letting God really instruct our hearts in a deep, profound way, in a real sense of hearing also, not just kind of a cursory hearing, but then that hearing and what God tells us and how he instructs us and how he enriches us brings us to then a place of, of assurance and comfort in him. And then that comfort then would, would propel us forward and, and let, us, let us worship God and praise God uh, and rejoice in the Lord uh, who is the God of, of our salvation. And that's, that's where we'll see this progression going. Uh, and we're turning corners uh, of this progression. Today we, we kind of turned the corner from the last time we, we spoke about Habakkuk uh, that was a place of assurance, and now we're kind of moving forward a little further, close to worship, and, uh, and we're just seeing how that faith uh, comes in and, and layers on uh, to assurance and layers, layers over uh, watching and waiting and layers over that, that even that worry, that faith should triumph. Uh, Habakkuk, we'll see here, turns a corner and begins to now pray or praise God. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us in our time in the Word. I'll read the text, and then we'll, we'll get to, to work here. Let's pray together. Father, we stop right now uh, to concentrate our hearts and our minds on you. And Lord, we ask that you, you would open our hearts and minds to be receptive to your word, that God, we would, we would see the condition of our own heart, we would, we would know 
uh, God, that you're calling us to something more. God, to, to increase our faith, to deepen our dependency on you, to deepen our humility before you. God, I, I pray that you would help us see that today as we look at this wonderful word, this, this word that you've given us. God, we ask that your spirit would convict us of sin. God, we don't, we don't want to be found sinful. We want to be found faithful. So, God, we want to be obedient to you. So help us move towards repentance and obedience that, God, we would be a people of your own possession, a people, the righteous, who would live then by faith in Christ alone. We thank you and praise you and pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we are in Habakkuk chapter 3. Uh, I'm going to read the first two verses, and then we'll, we'll kind of cover some more of that. Uh, in chapter 3, verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according uh, to Shagoineth, Lord, I have heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. Uh, pretty profound verse, and we're going to break this apart. This is, this is meant to be a prayer or a worship uh, worship song. And, and we see this other places in Scripture. You can cross-reference those later on your own. Uh, we see Psalm 7 is one of those where you see the same musical term, uh, Shagoineth, and it's, it's really unknown what that means. And it, it kind of talks about it's maybe you're wandering the wrong way, and it's, it's a musical uh, term saying let's, let's sing about how we were once uh, wanderers, and now we're, we're back on track in faith in God. But we really don't know what it means. We just know it's a musical term we see in, in worship. But what we do know is that the prophet Habakkuk is offering a prayer, and that this prayer, actually all of chapter 3, was taken, kind of separated from chapters 1 and 2, because it was prayer, it was a worship song. And it would be something that was sung in the worship service of God's people. So, so this is a profound song, a profound prayer, something of deep importance that you and I should understand and look to and say, well, wh what were they singing about? This, this book seems like a downer to me. This book seems like it's all about judgment and about sin, and, and what is there to sing about? So that's what we're going to get to see today, that excitement, something that moves us beyond worry and even God's wrath and judgment in that, and, and moving into a place of, of, of watching and listening to God and learning from God and growing, and then some strong assurance that God is still God no matter what we think or feel. And then that assurance helps us turn that corner in that place of, I can worship Him. He's he is God, and I, I want to put my trust and faith in Him. So we're going to see that progression. Today's sermon title is, is titled Habakkuk's Prayer. And as we look at Habakkuk's prayer, we're going to look at five different things that kind of inform this prayer. But before we get there, I want us to understand this watching. If you remember back in chapter 2, if you even want to flip there or turn there or just go over to it, um, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Habakkuk had, had given his, his worry to God. He'd given his concern, his complaint to God. And then at the, end, or at the beginning of, of uh, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. So again, that moved Habakkuk from that worry and his complaint into that place of, okay, I'm going to watch. I, I'm not just going to abandon you, God. I'm not going to complain and then run out the door. I, let's enter into a conversation here. I really want to learn from you. So he was watchful, right? And then it says, the Lord answered me, and he said, write down this vision, clearly inscribe it on tablets, so, no, uh, so one may easily read it. And, and Alistair preached on this several weeks ago, and it was so important for us to understand that what God was saying is, listen up, I'm giving you something that you need to, to write on tablets. It's as weighty and as important as the Ten Commandments that I gave to Moses. 
And he, and he summed it all up. If you would go to verse 4, he, he, sees, uh, he says this. He says, uh, look, his ego is inflated. He lives without integrity, talking about the unrighteous. But the righteous one will live by faith. That, that is the crux of what, what the message from God was back to Habakkuk and to, and to us. Yeah, there's worry, there's complaint, there's grief, there's despair. But would you just listen for a minute? Would you quiet your heart before me? And Habakkuk did that. And, and, and as he quieted his heart before God, God spoke and said, listen, in the midst of all of this, the righteous will live by faith. They will live by faith. They will not abandon their faith. They will live by faith. And that's that movement from worry and despair and grief into that place and posture of watchfulness, right? A watchfulness that would actually hear from the Lord. And then, then we moved into assurance. And, and the neat thing, if you go to chapter 2, look at verse 20. We talked more in there. And, but the, the, the very end of the chapter, verse 20, after talking with God and God explaining what was going to happen and, and that God would even rain, not, not only judge uh, Israel, he would rain down judgment and wrath on, on the rest of the world, the Babylons, the people that thought their ways were right. And here's what he tells Habakkuk, that yes, justice will be had. You, you will be vindicated. But listen, and here's why. In verse 20, he says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. And it kind of put this, this final gavel down for, for Habakkuk, saying, listen, Habakkuk, you're in worry, and you've watched, and I've told you, you've really listened from your heart, and I've told you what you should know. And now that I've told you that, and that, that you know I'm a just God, what I'm asking of you is to sit there and listen to me more and know that I am God. Right? We, we look at that verse and it says, be still and know that I am God. What he's saying is, let the whole earth gather in the assembly before God, not before any other man, not before any other small G God, an idol, but to gather before God and that they would be still and silent in his presence. And, and see that God is gathering his people in his presence. The Lord is in his temple and he's gathering his people around. around. So it's so appropriate now that we move into that assurance, right? That gave Habakkuk assurance. He knew that God had his back. He knew that God was on his throne. He knew that God hadn't missed something or messed up. But he was assured by God that he is still in his temple, on his throne, and still sovereign over the affairs of the entire world. And that prompted him as, as he would gather his people in his presence in the temple. What should be next? Well, chapter 3 is next. And what we see next is his people called to worship. He, they're called to worship. They're called to lay down their anxiety. They're called to lay down their despair, their grief, their worry. They're called to have listened and really sought God to understand and know him. And then as, they, as he assures him that, they are, that, that he is their God, they're called now to respond from a place of worship. And that's what we're going to get to see today. Coming out of chapter 2 and into chapter 3, the question is this, and, and Habakkuk puts it out there. He says, I'm preparing this way for, for, as a, through this prayer for all generations and all the ones that will follow. He's preparing this way for them to enter into the same life of faith-filled worship. But the question is, what will their response be? And, and the question is for you and I, what will our response be? Will we have a faith-filled worship of God, or will we still revert back to worry and half listening to who God is and what he has said to us. So let's look at Habakkuk's prayer. Number one, Habakkuk's prayer is a response to what he has heard. 
It's a response to what he has heard. Uh, if you go to, back to chapter 3, we're, we're starting there at 1 and 2 again. Uh, it says this, a prayer of the prophet Habakkuk, according to Shagoinath. Lord, I have heard the report about you. And see, God has already given him the report. God has said, this is who I am. This is, get to know me more. And listen, when, when you have a prophet like Habakkuk and you have the book like Habakkuk, it, all that he had to know about God was not what's written in one book of Habakkuk. There were all these other prophets that were before and all, and, and all the way back to Abraham and Moses. He had this. They, they had this knowledge and this was passed down to them and they, they were encouraged by it. And the covenant promises of God rang true in their ears day in and day out, or at least they should have. It wasn't just new things for Habakkuk. He, he was being reinforced. The things he knew about God, he was being reinforced with. He worried, and then he waited, and he watched, and then he really listened. I have heard the report about you. You know, it's so important for us to really listen. You know, I, I say it a lot. You know, think about when we were kids, and I, I, I had those times when I really didn't listen to my parents. I wasn't really, I mean, I heard what they said, right? I heard you. And then they asked me to repeat what it was that they said, and I don't know, because I may have heard them speaking. I may have heard noise coming from their direction. But whatever I was involved in, I was more self-involved, and I didn't really listen from my heart and let it sink and settle in. Habakkuk is in that place of, of having really listened from his heart, and, and you and I should be encouraged about that. When we go to the Lord in worship, if we want to move from worry into a place of worship, we have to really be watchful. We have to really be ready to hear from God. He says, I have heard the report about you. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says this, that faith, or this faith-filled worship, faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes through the message about Christ. It is so imperative for us to know and centralize our thoughts and our hearts and our minds to listen to the words spoken about Christ and the words of Christ. We get a little bit self-involved, don't we? We, we tend to wander through life kind of uh, at 99 miles an hour, or 100 miles an hour. Right, right now it's slowed down a little bit, so maybe you're in a place of listening better, or you're just too antsy. I, I, I'm like that. If I get too antsy and I'm kind of stir-crazy, I do tune out. I stop listening to really what's going on around me and seeing what is important right there. So I really have to focus in, and I, I hope you understand that that's what is happening here. Habakkuk says, I really focused in, and, and Paul urges in Romans, he says, faith comes from what is heard, and hearing comes from the word or message about Christ. That you and I have to settle and slow our hearts and our minds that we would actually see and hear what God is saying to us. Not just kind of hear it going on as noise. You know, for us, a lot of us have grown up in the church maybe a long time. Uh, you know, the joke would be, I was born in the church, right? Right on that pew right there. And, and the idea of that is, okay, yeah, I, I was there and I've heard all the stories. And what it becomes is that white noise in the background. Stories that you've heard over and over in Scripture. It's like, yeah, I've heard that one. Next page. Oh, I've read that story. Next page. No, we should not be like that. It, his mercies are new every morning. And, and we need to sit in His presence, be still in His presence, and hear from our heart what God is up to. So Habakkuk's prayer is a response to what he had heard. And if you and I can't start a prayer, if we can't really feel like worshiping, if we're not in that place, it may be because we haven't settled our heart before God to really hear from Him. See, when we hear from Him and not from ourselves, when we hear from Him, it will compel us to pray. It will compel us to worship and rejoice. If we're still trusting in our own ability, we won't find ourselves there in a faith-filled place of worship. Number two, Habakkuk's prayer continues, and it's prompted 
by a posture of awe. It's prompted by a posture of awe. Look at the next part of verse 2. He says, Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. Not built on the verse before. It said, uh, Lord, I have heard the reports about you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. Like, God, I've heard the stories. I've seen what you've done. I am in awe for who you are. Some of your translations will talk about fear and, and like, or tremble. Uh, and those are good, good translations. But listen, uh, as, as Habakkuk's faith has grown and matured, uh, what he had earnestly learned about God had left him in awe and, and amazement and wonder of who he is. After all, a right view and a right understanding of God and of who God is should make us tremble. But I want us to understand this, this word a little more in context. It doesn't really mean total fear and I'm freaked out and I'm nervous. Uh, it, it's, it's not the I, I'm shuddering and cowering type of fear. It's not meant for us to be there. Let me give you the illustration that, that is appropriate here. And I think you, you would see this in this kind of superhero mentality of who Jesus is and who God is, right? We talk about that with David. But David calls on my mighty, my mighty God. He's my mighty superhero God. He can save the day. He can rescue. So think about this. If you had no idea about anything in the Marvel Universe, right? We're talking about the Marvel Universe. And, and you were outside and you saw this, this 12-foot-tall guy, I mean, just yoked, ripped out. His shirt is off. He's got jeans, jean shorts on. And he's, he's green. And he's walking down the street. And he's just destroying cars left and right. He's just Hulk destroy, Hulk smash. You and I would be utterly freaked out, like trembling, because we don't see that stuff, right? It's just in Marvel Universe on TV. But we, we need to understand the context, right? If we understand who the Incredible Hulk is, now I'm not saying Hulk is like God, because he has his baggage and there's uh, stories and backstories to him. You can figure that out later. God is perfect in his ability to covenantially love his people. But as, as the Incredible Hulk comes forward in, as in the Marvel Universe, he's a superhero. He's not a villain. He's a superhero. And he teams up with the rest of these Marvel guys and, and, and takes care of business. And he takes care of the good people that he's in, been entrusted with. So I want you to think about that, that although he has this crazy, awesome power, and that would absolutely frighten us, if we understood that he was going about the work of saving and rescuing good people from evil people, we would be so happy that he was doing that. And we're happy to know that. The hard part would be if I was on the wrong team. That would leave me still freaked out and trying to, to be confrontational or try to, try to win my own battle. But we shouldn't do that with the Incredible Hulk, and certainly we should not do that with God. See, God is in that superhero mentality in the largest way. He is an amazing, mighty God who is mighty to save. And, and yes, His judgment is there and discipline is there, but His mercy is there, and He extends compassion through His covenantial love for us he extends that compassion and mercy to us in our time of desperate need. So yes, we should see an awe at God, but in the middle of that, we should know that if we are living by faith, the righteous will live by faith, if we're living by faith in God, that He's got our back, that, that we're on His team, and, and that should give a bolster in my faith. So what happened here with Habakkuk, as he says, I, Lord, I stand in awe or in fear of your works or deeds. What he's saying is, I know who you are. I know that you've got my back. And I am going to stand right there with you and live by faith. 
The kind of fear and awesomeness that comes from the, from the power of God has instilled and bolstered a faith inside of me. That's the connection we have here. It's not just, I'm so, I'm so scared, I'm so afraid. It's, wow, he's an amazing, powerful, righteous, holy God who extends compassion to me and love to me, and I will live by faith in him, is what Habakkuk is saying. I want to give you a few, few examples of this. Throughout the history of Israel and throughout the Old Testament, we see some different ones. Uh, we see it in Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 29. The Israelites had, had walked through the sea on dry ground and with the waters uh, like a wall to them to the right and to the left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. So there's this might of God, right? God, God parts the sea and they walk across on dry ground. And then as soon as they're, they're safe and the Egyptians pursue, God just takes the sea and smashes it closed and wipes out the enemy, the ones who are against the Israelites. And it says, when Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord. And, it says and, and, and here's that connection. When we talk about the fear of the Lord, it's not a cowering because I'm, I'm, I'm a poor dog in the corner going to get beat. It is, I have seen how mighty he is and what I do deserve. I know what I do deserve, but I've seen how mighty he is. And the people says, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and in his servant Moses. See, what happened? They saw the might of God, the power of God, and that fear and awestruckness inside of them led them to a deeper faith. We see this in the book of Jonah. When you see Jonah, and Jonah had ran from God saying, go, he said no. He got on a, a ship and, and sailed towards Tarshish, and, and he shouldn't have done that, but he was on there, and the, the sea was raging, and they were going to sink, and the people on the boat said, what is going on? And he revealed himself, it's probably me, you need to throw me overboard. Well, they... they feared God at that point. Like, well, God's bringing some waves. What do we do? So here's what they said in Jonah chapter 1, verse 14 through 16. It says, they called out to the Lord. They kind of said, let's reason, let's pray. He said, please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood because we're going to throw him overboard, right? Uh, for you, Lord, have done just as you please. You see this awe and this reverence they have for the power of God? It says, then they picked up Jonah and they threw him into the sea and the sea stopped its raging verse 16 the men were seized by great fear of the lord and they offered a sacrifice to the lord and made vows see that they saw the great power of god they saw the wrath of god the judgment of god and they knew that god was still gracious and they prayed to god and as god showed his power not only in the storm but in the ability to calm the storm they worshiped by faith they trusted him in faith. They increased their faith in him. Later on, we see it in the same book of Jonah. Jonah eventually turns around, and he, he gets spit back up on the shore, right? And he goes, he goes over to Nineveh, finally. He, he goes there begrudgingly, and you can catch this sermon series. We've done this a, a year or two ago. Uh, but, but Jonah goes to the city of Nineveh. And in verse 4 of chapter 3, it says that Jonah uh, set out on the first day of his walk around the city and proclaimed. Here's what Jonah proclaims to the city of Nineveh. In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. And then he shuts up. He doesn't want to say anything else. He doesn't want to tell them anything else. He doesn't want to give them any hope at all and assurance. But in some way, uh, this city of Nineveh was in a watchful place in their heart, that God was stirring and working in their hearts. 
Because there was a response to this, this aweness of God, this, this uh, awesome power of God, this idea that judgment's on its way, in 40 days you'll be demolished. So what happened? Verse 5, Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. This fear of God, this judgment of God was at hand. And what, did it, what happened to it? What happened to the people whose hearts were ready to hear? It increased their faith. It increased their faith. See, a right view of God and His work brought about proper faith in people. The last uh, thing I want to show you in this point is from Job. Uh, Job chapter 42, and, and Job's had a real run of bad luck, right? And not necessarily luck. It's been a pretty sovereign circumstance here. But Job is, is feeling pretty down, and he questions God, and God questions him, and then he comes back and responds. And listen to what Job says. I think it's similar to what Habakkuk says. It's similar to what you and I should say. Then Job replied to God. He finally replied to God. He says, I know that you can do anything, God, and no plan of yours will be thwarted. You asked, who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? Surely I spoke about things, uh, or, and he says, surely I spoke about things I didn't understand, things too wondrous for me to know. God, you said, listen now and I will speak. When I question you, you will inform me. Look at verse 5. So right, right before we get to verse 5, there's this, this thing going on with Job, and, and God says, who do you think you are? I am the sovereign God of the universe. Who do you think you are? And there's a huge, uh, I think it's in, verse, or in chapter 39, you can read this whole, uh, a, a whole thing about Job and God's response to Job. It makes him feel like the small man that he should feel like, not, not this powerful, any, any powerful, mighty God of his own. He, he's putting, put in his own place. And so he knows that. He hears from God. He's watched and, and heard. And, and Job's response was amazing. He's like, yeah, you're right, God. You, you asked me, who is this? And he's talking about me, who, who conceals my counsel with ignorance. And that was Job. He was concealing God's counsel with ignorance. But in verse 5, he says this. I had heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I reject my words, and I am sorry for them. I am dust and ashes. It's so important for us to understand that when Job says, listen, I'm going to respond to what has been heard, I'm prompted by a posture of awe, that when we hear the reports about God, it's not just about hearing it. It's about listening and about seeing from the depths of our heart. Job said, and I think Habakkuk could say the same thing, I, I had heard about you. But now, but now I can see. I see you. And therefore, that should lead us to a, a repentant, faith-filled worship. Because the righteous will live by faith. And that's the gospel. Think about that with Habakkuk. Habakkuk is, is understanding and seeing the Lord for who He is. He sees himself as a sinner uh, who He is. And, and he knows that God is is coming to love him with compassion, but also that he's coming in judgment. That's the same message we have today. And, and the warning here is that he's warning them, uh, the people of Israel, warning them to, to have faith, that, to go and live by faith. Do not lack faith. And think about that for how it relates for you and I. The Bible says that we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of God's glory, that we've separated ourselves from God, that our relationship with Him has been broken because of our own sin. 
and that there is judgment for sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But he goes on to say the, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's an amazing promise that we must cling to. See, Job knew and, and, and Habakkuk knew that sin ruined things and that there was despair in the world because of sin and because of rebellion. But God, who is rich in mercy, desires to save us from that sin. Listen, he sent Jesus Christ as the one who would take that wrath upon his own shoulders. That he would take the penalty for my sin and for your sin. And he would let it rest surely on his shoulders and that he would take the brunt of that penalty and he would die in our place. But because Jesus was God in the flesh, he rose three days later conquering death. And because he conquered death through our faith in Christ, we can not only be forgiven and made righteous and pure, but we can conquer death too. So the admonition is always, and the warning is always, do not lack faith in Jesus Christ. Do not lack faith in the compassion of God and in, the, in, in, his, in his, the depth of his hesed love, right? That covenantal, merciful love that he pursues us with. God is pursuing us. And even in the middle, middle of this, you see uh, Habakkuk as the prophet of Israel uh, Israel is, is running, running amok, doing whatever they want. And in the middle of this, you see God still pursuing Israel and saying, I'm going to discipline you, but it's so that I can get you back so that you can come back to me as a people from my own possession. And I'm going to still reach out and I'm still going to uh, warn, but I'm still going to rescue you. I'm still going to be your God. So Habakkuk prays, right? He, he prays, he says, I, I'm going to respond to what I've heard. I'm going to respond and be prompted by a posture of awe that my faith would increase. And then he prays. And number three, here's what he asks. He asks the Lord to revive his work. He says, Lord, revive your work. Essentially, here's what he's saying. Lord, I've, I've sat in worry, then I've sat and listened, and I've listened with my heart, and you've told me what you're going to do. I understand your mercy and your grace, that you are sovereign, that you are covenantal, that you are pursuing us. So, Lord... Do your thing. God, I want you to do your thing. Look at the next part of Habakkuk, if you're back there with me, in chapter 3, uh, verse 2, and it's part C. He prays, revive your work in these years. Revive your work in these years. Uh, so interesting to note here. You know, Habakkuk has talked with God already. He's been back and forth about a few things, and and not only has he been back and forth about what's happening currently, he, he's seen a glimpse of what's going to happen in the future. But more than that, Habakkuk has lived through the past and knows the stories of the past, of the work of God that has been done. So there's things he's holding on to. He's like, God, revive your work. Revive what you have always done in your covenantal love. Revive what you're doing even now, although I didn't quite get it. I see now how it's coming in line with your covenantal love. Revive that work now. And God, I look forward to what you're going to do. As we look next week, we're going to see the, the next part of the passage, verses 3 and following. We're going to see this, this future tense of what God is going to accomplish. Habakkuk knows this. He already has this in this vision before he writes it and before we preach it, right? He knows it. So he is resting. Habakkuk is resting on the past work of God, on the current work of God, and on the future work of God. So when he prays, he says, God, revive your work. And then he says, in these years... If you think back to chapter 1 of Habakkuk, this is what it said in chapter 1, verse 5. 
God says, look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded. For I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. He already said, listen, I've been at work and I'm doing something in your days. And what we know later is that Habakkuk and all of Israel right now becomes part of that exile that gets taken into captivity. That, that, That work is going to be done. And what Habakkuk is now seeing is even in that wrath, even in that judgment, even in that discipline, God is going to continue his covenantial work for us. He says, revive your work in these days. He's like, let's do it now. Bring it on, Lord, now. I want to see you move now in our midst. Revive your work in these days. I have seen it. Right? And now he goes on now. Here's the idea of this, too, the idea for the future. So we're in verse 2, right, of chapter 3. He says, revive revive your work in these years. And there's a a saying that's coming up pretty soon here. Again, we always hear it around Easter time. Uh, We have uh, Holy Week, right, Passion Week, where Christ... Uh, we see Christ entering Jerusalem and, and all the things that went on there and around. And then we, we get to that day called Good Friday, right? Which is really a dark day. But there's this encouraging, encouraging slogan or phrase that we've started to use and, and probably used since it happened. We say, it's Friday, but what? But say it in your house, right? It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday that Christ has died and he has been buried in a tomb and and it's dark and it seems hopeless and helpless and we're in the middle of uncomfortable times and sorrow and despair but sunday's coming that he will get out of that grave he will rise from the dead and he will conquer death once and for all for us see there is hope in the work of god and when habakkuk says revive your work in these years he's saying god do your thing it's going to be amazing and that's just another another outpouring of faith that he has god i i trust what you're up to i trust what you are going to do in these years right in these years and and some people would say that's that that's between the old testament and new testament some would say it's between jesus and then the holy spirit uh some say that it's actually the the judgment that god is going to spill out onto uh israel he's saying listen you're going to be disciplined i'm going to let you go into exile and it's these years or between that and between then the judgment he explained in, in chapter 1 and 2 on Babylon. So somewhere in those times where it's going to be pretty tumultuous. I kind of lean that direction. But what he's saying is, listen, in these years, the thing that you're doing, the work that you're going to do in my own lifetime, bring it on. Revive that work. We will have faith and trust in the covenantal promises of God. And even, even if he, he doesn't do his work right now the way I think he should do it, God is still up to something. You and I cannot become numb to the covenantal purposes and plans of God. We have to become submissive and joyfully anticipating them, that God is going to do what He wants to do. And we will live by faith. Number four, Habakkuk's prayer, ask the Lord to reveal His will. So he he just said, Lord, I I want you to revive your work. Revive your work in these years. In the next part of that verse, in verse 2d, it says, make it known in these years. Your work, your will, your plan, make it known in these years. He is desperately seeking, God, I want your will to be known. I want people to know your will and surrender to your will. Now, I know that's difficult. It's, you know, it isn't easy 
to comprehend God's will. And it's even more agonizing to submit to it, isn't it? It's not always easy. I'll say it again. It's not always easy to comprehend God's will, but it's often more agonizing for us to submit to it. It's painful to do that. And Habakkuk is reminding us now uh, to, re- to bow our heart in humility and submit our will to God. Why was this sung in worship services in the congregation of Israel? Because you and I need to sing that to one another all the time. We need to re- be reminded constantly to bow our hearts and our will in humility and submit to the will of God. Amen? That's who we submit to. We surrender to God. We surrender to His will. I, I want to read this passage out of Matthew. If you want to turn there, you can keep your uh, ribbon there in Habakkuk. But we're going to go to Matthew chapter 26. Interesting that this passage actually came up in some discussion this week, and, and I really thought, man, this is, this is what Habakkuk is talking about. This is the same attitude that Jesus has with the Father when, when he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. So we're in Matthew 26. We're looking at verses 36 through 46 together. By no means is, is Habakkuk suffering the same agony that Christ is going to, or or that we will ever suffer the same agony that Christ is suffering here. But Christ is a model and an example for us of how we should submit our will to the Father. So so then Jesus, in verse 36, uh, Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he told the disciples, sit here while I go over and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, so couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you will not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. After leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? See, the time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. See, my betrayer is near. An amazing, amazing passage of Scripture for us to to learn from. This is Jesus in agony, in despair. And and he's submitted himself. He says, "I, I want God's will to be done. He says, I want God's work to be done. He says, basically Jesus's life is all about the phrase lord revive your work in these years make it known in these years and that that's that's his mission that the mission of god the redemption offered on the cross and through the cross and resurrection would come to fruition but in the middle of that it's agonizing at times and it's agonizing to bow our own will and surrender it to god but jesus gives us that model and that example in the middle of agony in the middle of not only expecting God's work to be done, but he knew what God's work was. He knew what he was called to do. And at the end there, it's interesting that if you caught that, he said, get up, let's go. 
See, my betrayer is here. Get up. Let's go. It's it, just like Jesus, right? Habakkuk, he asked the Lord, God, give, I want your will. I want to see your will. And give me the understanding and give me the humility necessary for faithful living in the midst of trials and agony. That's what Habakkuk is saying. Jesus said that in the midst of agony and trials and despair and sorrowful and to death. Lord, give me the capacity to humble myself in a place of obedience to the will of the Father. And Habakkuk says the same thing. And when Habakkuk says, we want to pray, make it known in these years, he's saying, God, humble my heart, humble my attitude, humble my spirit before you that I could see your will clearly and that I could surrender and submit to it. In short, he says, let's get up, let's go, let's get to work. Let's let God do what he's going to do. Finally, what does he pray? Number five, he asked the Lord to remember mercy. He asked the Lord to remember mercy. So he says first, he says, uh, revive your work in these years. Like, let, get to doing your thing, God. You, you're, you're on now. Go for it. And he says, make it known in these years. During this time, give us wisdom to submit and surrender to your will. And then he says, God, in the middle of all this, at the same time, in your wrath, remember mercy. Now, now wrath here is more appropriately translated uh, kind of as a condition of agony or disruption or disturbance. Uh, it's, it's when we're just unsettled. It's not that in, in my, in, as, as wrath is being poured out, remember mercy. It's, it could come. Agitation certainly comes from wrath. And as God is, God is being just and, and maybe judging, and in the midst of these years, this time of exile, and as he, he, he disciplines Israel, and as he judges Babylon, there's certainly, certainly going to be wrath happening there. But during the, that wrath and that judgment, there's going to be agitation and, and disturbance going on uh, from without and within. So he says, in your wrath or in this disturbance, in this time of agitation, remember mercy. Listen, this is a time when, when foundations can be shaken. Those times in our life, those disturbances. For, for many of us during this, this time in this season in our country, in our world's history, it's, it's disturbing and it's, it's, it's a, uh, an agitation or a disturbance for us all and we're, we're a little nervous. Foundations maybe seem like they're shaking a little bit. So Habakkuk cries out for God's mercy knowing that only God's undeserved compassion for you and I is sufficient to sustain His people under that kind of stress. See, God's compassionate mercy is what enables us to say, I, I can be comforted. I can live comforted. And I, I want to make a clarification there. You know, I, I talked about this, this progression. We, we move from worry, and we go into that place of watchfulness from, from our heart, really wanting to hear from God. And then He speaks, and He informs us, and then we come to that place of knowing that we're assured, and that, we, that we're, uh, there's comfort there. That comfort we're talking about is not like, man, this is really comfortable. It's that comfort we're saying, God has comforted us. God has brought us comfort in the middle of despair. You know, if we lose a loved one, if we're grieving the loss of a loved one, what would be comfortable is to have them back. But God, what he does is says, I'm going to comfort you in the midst of a crisis. And that's the comfort that we're talking about here. And we say, God, remember mercy. We're saying, God, continue to let your mercy reign in my heart. Let your comfort reign in my heart despite my circumstances in spite of my circumstances i will cry out for mercy knowing that your mercy that your compassion will be su sufficient to sustain 
me under deep stress or agony or loss or grief. And remember, I talked about Habakkuk, as he talks about God's mercy, he's like, God, remember mercy. He's not just abstractly saying, God, maybe you're merciful. Maybe you have something within you to, to give us some unmerited favor. He knows God. He knows the God of mercy. And I, I have two passages I want to read to us, to, to us today, that, and we'll finish up. The first one comes out of Micah, chapter 7. It's also a, a small prophet book. And Micah, in chapter 7, verse 18, he says this, Who is a God like you, forgiving iniquity and passing over rebellion for the remnant of his inheritance? You see, this is what Habakkuk is clinging to. This is what Habakkuk knows of God. He is merciful. Who is God like you, forgiving iniquity and passing over rebellion for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not hold on to his anger forever because he delights in faithful love. He will again have compassion on us. He will vanquish our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show loyalty to Jacob and faithful love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from days long ago. This is a perfect example of holding on to the promises of God holding on to the covenant, merciful nature of who God is. God, remember mercy. You know what it's more profoundly saying? I think it is saying, God, we want you to remember mercy. But what Habakkuk prays and what you and I should pray in our heart is, is Brandon, remember God's mercy. You and I should edify each other. Remember God's mercy. Remember how deep His mercy is. Remember the depths of what we deserved and what He saved us from. Remember mercy. Then the final verse in Isaiah, chapter 54. Like Habakkuk, we can worship and trust in a merciful God. He has mercy. And here's, here's what Isaiah says in 54.10. Though the mountains move and the hills shake, my love will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken says your compassionate Lord. What an amazing truth. What an amazing promise that we can claim. He's, God's telling us, though your mountains may shake and the hills move, uh, my love will not be removed from you. My covenant of peace will not be shaken. God, God's an amazing God. Lord, we, we, we ask God, God, that you would do your work and may your compassionate mercy be what sustains us. That is what needs to be on our heart. That's, that is the expression of a faith-filled rejoicer, a faith-filled worshiper saying, God, I'm going to trust and let you do your work and let your compassion and mercy be what sustains me. I hope that encourages you. I'm going to pray for us, and our worship team is going to come back up, and we're going we're to end in, in a song together. Let's pray. Father, we, we are so inadequate. We are so undeserving God we are so easily shaken and God as we have as we've looked at your word today God I pray that you would help continue to open our heart and our mind to know who you are to to humble our hearts and to quiet our hearts before you that we would listen as you inform us God and that we would hear your word and respond to the message of Christ to the gospel in faith God increase our faith 
Increase our faith in a way that we see your work at hand and we long for your work in these years. That we long for your will to be done in these years. We, we long to surrender our, our own life, our own will to you. God, we submit. And God, help us to cry out to you for mercy. God, help us to sing out to one another that we would remember your mercy. And God, that you, through your mercy, will continue to sustain us moment by moment and day by day. We trust you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.